It is such a joy to be together this morning, and uh, thank you on this holiday long weekend for being here. If you've been traveling in from out of town uh, uh, on the holiday and you're just visiting with us, uh, we're so grateful that you are here as well. Last week, I introduced this new series, Spiritual Fruit and the Character of Christ, and today we're going to be wading in to the first of the nine through the Spirit, I felt a certain urgency, such a need for character, integrity in our lives these days. And we're going to be wading into the first one today, which is love. Love. The word nobody can define, but everybody loves, right? The word that's probably made your life happier and heart happier than ever been before and probably hurt your heart more than ever before. It's, it's quite a word. In fact, there's probably more songs been written about love than any single word in our vocabulary. Almost every song is about love. And, and I, are some of you country western fans? I'm not, but, um, but some, maybe you've heard Rascal Flatts lyrics depicting, they call it backwards, depicting a country western song backwards. In which case, you get your house back. And you get your dog back. And you get your best friend Jack back. And you get your truck back. And you get your hair back. Oh, my. And then at the pinnacle of it all, you get the love of your life back. You get the person you love back. That's country western. That's a country western song in reverse. So our marching orders to shift to God's word. Well, Galatians chapter 5, 25, this, this just follows the, the naming of the nine gifts of the Spirit that we just saw on the screen. Since, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, Paul writes, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we're, we're keeping in step. That, that, that just has burned into my heart. Lord, I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is letting the Spirit caused to flourish and blossom in my life, the fruit of what comes out when the Holy Spirit's around. We're talking about more than just being forgiven, although that's pretty fab fabulous, and that's the starting point. We are talking about a depth of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives by which we don't end up the same. We are transformed at the level of our character. And he says, your, your call living in my resurrection powers to keep step with my spirit. And so, uh, just three verses earlier, verse 22, he has said, this is what this is going to look like, but the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of what the spirit does as we keep step with him is love, the one we're going to focus on today, and joy, and peace, and forbearance, and kindness, and godliness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. We're going to be taking these one at a time over the next couple of months. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I remember, I think I may have been a college student, and the first thing I ever read by somebody writing about the fruit of the Spirit uh, said that it could have been Paul's intention uh, to have had a colon after the word love, that the fruit of the Spirit is love colon, and here's what it looks like. You know, you're not going to be miserable, you're going to have joy, and you're, you're not going to be hating people, there's going to be peace, 
and kindness and goodness and all of that. Well, in the Greek uh, language that Paul's writing, there is no colon, although, although it was a wonderful thought. But, but it does remind us that love is sort of the all-encompassing virtue. You could almost interpret every other one of the fruit of the Spirit as being an expression of exactly that, of love. In, in fact, just a few verses earlier, and we looked at this whole context last week, um, if you missed it, and you can watch it on YouTube or podcast. Um, for the entire, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. I mean, everything God requires of you, other than loving God, everything else in this world uh, that God would require of you is, is summarized in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's the word love. I'm going to say two things about love this morning. One will be right at the end. Uh, the first one that we'll spend most of the time on is the fact that love is what I call the kingdom of God word. It is the kingdom of God word. It's the kingdom of God word. And then the last one will be like our altar call. It's also this Holy Spirit's work. So love is the kingdom of God's word, and it's the Holy Spirit's work. It, 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 first of all, is, is the word to describe God's kingdom, love. Now, I was a young pastor years ago. I've talked about him occasionally uh, over the years with some of you. Um, I, I became friends with a professor at Vanguard University, and the church I pastored was just on the edge of that campus, and Vanguard's up. Uh, uh, like a sister church to, uh, college to Evangel University. And, and his name was Dr. Bill Williams. I'm, I'm reading out of the New International Version. He actually helped to translate part of this. He was on the translation team. He was a Bible scholar. Back in those days, we had a gymnasium-sized auditorium, so we had three services in a row. He always came to the third service. You know, and, I, and I was glad I had two times practicing preaching before but Dr. Williams would hear me. And he was, he was the kindest guy. I mean, all my background's in math and physics. He's a specialist in biblical languages. Once I was leaving the church out of the lobby, and Dr. Williams was there, and the chairman of my board was there. And, and the board chairman said, oh, pastor, that was quite a sermon you preached today. Dr. Williams pulled out the Hebrew text three times. I go, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. And bless his heart, he was so kind. He just let... He, he just let the board chairman slip out the door, and then he leaned out down and whispered to me so he couldn't hear me. He said, I'll send you some stuff about that word <laughs> this week. And so he didn't like coffee, but we would have tea together, and, and, and he'd kind of coach me, and he'd kind of help me. And one day, we are having tea together, and he said, why don't you come visit a class I teach at Vanguard? So, so he invited me just to come sit in in a class. I thought it was just a random class. And he just happened in that class to be talking about the word love. This time out of the Greek, the New Testament, word love. You see, we have the same word in English. I love my wife, and I love God, and I love pizza, and I love physics. You know, but there's not an equivalence there. At least my wife doesn't think there's an equivalence between <laughs> pizza, physics, and her. But the Greek language, uh, as I sat there and listened to Dr. Williams expound, the Greek language has several words for love. One of those words is eros. This, we would say, would be kind of, in part, romantic love. It, 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 we get the word erotic from it. It, it. This is the kind of love that is attracted by beauty. Attracted by beauty. And then storge is another Greek word for love. This is the word you'd use for loving a family member. I love my ma mom. I love my dad. 
even on a particularly good day, although this is a stretch, I love my kid brother. Okay, that's, so the bloodline, the family. The third word is philia, philia. And this Philadelphia is built, that word. That's why we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. Although crime's really rising, it doesn't look like brotherly love in Philadelphia anymore, but that, that, this is kind of like affection, uh, something, you'd probably use philia for pizza, you would use it for, um, for, for things you like or, 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 or for a good friend, philia. And philia is used more widely. It's a bit more of a widely used word in the Greek language, and it can apply to a lot of things. But I, I, like, I like to think it's kind of a, I like this word, philia. I, I, boy, I love this pizza, philia. The fourth word, and this is where it shocked me. It, this happened 35 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. I was sitting in his class with a bunch of 20-something-year-olds. I'm 40, and, and I'm listening to this lecture, and I kind of knew some of what he already had said. But all of a sudden, he got to the fourth word, and that's agape. Agape. He said, this, this is the word. And I, of course, heard agape. This is, this is the God love word. God loves us word. This is the word describing God's love for us. Except what he said that to me was so shocking was that this word, this word was actually a less used word 2,000 years ago. And it was the most generic word of all the Greek words for love. It was the most generic. And I felt offended. I literally still remember. I was taken back. I said, how can you call God's love generic? And he said, it's for this reason. You see, eros is attached to beauty. Storge is attached to a bloodline. Philia is attached to likability. But agape is an unattached word. It requires nothing for it to act. And then he made this amazing statement. Agape does not require value. Agape adds value. Now that could be the best news you've ever heard. That God loves you that way. I'm always saying, God, am I good enough? God, am I, you know, and I've done too much bad, and, 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 and I feel insecure, and all of these sorts of things. And God's agape makes it irrelevant. It totally redefines your identity, because your identity is not linked to anything that would attract God's love or deserve. Like, I'm a pretty hot shot. Like, I'm pretty good, right? So I can understand God maybe loving me once in a while. Uh-uh. It has, your identity is totally rooted in the fact that God acted towards you in love. His love added value. He made you a son or a daughter of God. You're a child of the king. You've got the destiny of his call on your life. You've got the spirit of God in your life, and he's got purpose and plan for your life. Why? Because you somehow uh, sort of made the mark, you made the grade, and you kind of deserve that. No. Agape defies any connection in you to its action towards you. And in the process, because it doesn't look for value in order to act towards you, it adds value to your life. The gospel stuns me.
And what word does Paul use when he says, and the fruit of the Spirit is storge, eros. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. That somehow his Spirit in us replicates that kind of love towards others. The love that's blind to skin color, the love that's blind to ethnicity, the love that's blind to educational levels, the love that's blind to what I like or what I don't like. He said the Holy Spirit is going to work agape in you. So you're going to start living your life not looking for value in other people but adding value to them. Now John, the Apostle John, he liked to call himself the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> I don't know how the other 11 felt about that. Like, you twerp, who do you think you are? <laughs> you think he loves you more than us. But that's how John kind of, yeah, I think I've got, I've got an in with Jesus. I mean, I'm the one that Jesus loves. And so John writes a lot about this. He writes the Gospel of John, a record of Jesus' life, the fourth book of the New Testament. And then towards the end of the New Testament, he writes three letters. And in the first letter, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, this is, this is how we know what love, agape, is. This is how we know what it is. That Jesus, that we impress God, no. But Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what agape is. Now, I've struggled for years to try to find a good definition of love. I've read a lot of definitions of love. You can look up a definition on your phone. Just go to, just go to your Word app and look up a definition. And, and there's lots of definitions for love out there. But he said, I'm not going to give you a word definition. I'm going to give you an action definition. This is what agape looks like. When we totally did not deserve it, and before we did anything in response to it, he laid his life down. Doesn't that even say he flashed the heavens to impress us? That could be pretty intimidating. But he laid his life down. Why? So that value could be added back to our life. We could be forgiven. We could belong to him in ways we don't deserve and so in ways the devil can't take away from us. In the next chapter, chapter 4, he kind of does a little amplified version of that verse. And he says in the next chapter, this is agape, this is love. Not that we love God. This has nothing to do with you. It's not that we love God. Oh, I'm such a good worshiper. Oh, I'm a very religious person. Yeah. You're talking about the wrong kind of love. You're just talking about self-centered deserving then. You're not talking about the grace of Jesus. But this is love, not that we loved him. Uh -uh. But that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that here he's describing why Jesus laid his life down for us. You see, the love of God goes like this. If you just watch my gestures here. The love of God says, come here. I want, I want to know you. I created you. But our lives are flawed, broken, our hearts are bent to rebellion, and we have sin, and he's holy. So his holiness kind of goes like this. Uh, we can't be together. And his love says, oh, but come close. What resolves the contradiction between this and this? 
It's when he stretched his hands out on the cross, hanging a little above the earth's surface on a cross between, between heaven and earth, and he resolved the contradiction between this and this. He took all of what keeps us away from God on himself. That's why he laid down his life. That's why he became the sacrifice for our sin, the atoning or the covering sacrifice for our sin so that we would get to participate in this. Come into relationship with me. Come and know me. And then he says in the next verse, just like he did in the previous chapter, so dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And now the word ought in the Greek kind of has this idea of moral obligation. I mean, we're morally obligated to love one another if we've been loved this way. So we don't think emotionally about love like our culture does. We think theologically about love. What God, how God defined love. And then he says, that, 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 make, that puts an ought into our life. To what? To love one another. And, and, and there it's kind of like in the present ongoing tense to do it. So the New Testament scholar uh, and biblical translator Kenneth Woost, he, he translates that verse this way. It's going to sound a little stilted, but I love it. If you're going to do it literally, here's how he translates verse 11. Divinely loved ones, since in that manner and to that extent did God love us. Also, for us, we are under moral obligation to be constantly loving one another. That's agape that not only has come to us, but then so transforms our heart as a fruit of the Spirit. And at the core of our character, we learn to love in the same way other people. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to break some preaching rules. I'm going to get out, give you another list like I did last week that you can't absorb in one sitting. But we have notes, and I just feel I need to say some of these things as a pastor. Because this stuff's got to mark our lives. And how fitting our first service altogether for this new season that we'd be talking about love. Because it's the big together word. What does agape look like at Central Assembly? Well, first of all, it's this understanding. You hear me say this often. I can't do your growing for you. Nobody else can do your growing for you. Nobody can be hungry for God for you. No, no, nobody can trust God for you. But no one can do our, the growing for us. But we do grow better together. If we have been recipients of the agape love of God, there is a constantly passing that on to one another that becomes the mark of our spiritual DNA. If God loved us in that way, so we ought to love one another. So I've told you stories like at Father's Day. I told you about when I was that young pastor in Southern California, two other guys that attended the church, they were a pharmacist and a businessman, two guys. They took me to breakfast one day and said, we like you as a pastor. We don't have anything particular to say there, but we would love you to become a great husband and a great father. And so they said, can we do this together? And for us, that translated into a breakfast meeting about once every three weeks. And we would talk about being great husbands and being great fathers. Why? Because we grow better together. It still gives me great joy when I walk into a restaurant and see a group of guys or a group of women, maybe for breakfast, and I know that they're growing together. They're just doing this together. 
who got, I want to thank all of the nine o'clock classes that have shifted, some of them that have shifted around for us to allow us to go to one service. Dr. Nunley's class, thank you. Uh, that uh, Faith Builders class, you made a lot of adjustments from across the street at 1045 to be up here at, at, at 9 o'clock this morning. Thank you for all your adjustments. That's a fabulous class. And you will see where the name tags were, you will see a list of all the places where we can grow together. That's even at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, let alone even more groups that meet all week to pray together, to grow together, to be accountable to one another. Listen. Because God loved us in this way, we, we don't go with preconditions to love one another. All, all we know is, is that although I can't, nobody else can do my growing for me, um, I grow much better when I'm walking and keeping pace with the Spirit with other brothers and sisters together. Number two, I want to say that God is love through us. If this kind of agape marks our spiritual DNA as a church, God love, God's love through us will always notice and value other people. Sometimes we've got a little bit narcissistic tendencies. We're just self-focused. But God's love through us will always notice and value others. I'm going to be really honest. Um, I periodically hear stories of people who have attended here and then laughed after a year or two because they couldn't find friends. And they will say, uh, I came in, it was like nobody noticed me. Nobody said anything to me. Came into the service. Nobody invited me out for lunch ever. Nobody ever invited me into a small group. I kind of left. Nobody said anything to me. And uh, I hear that story once in a while. That's not an agape kind of place. But God's changing us. And although I periodically have heard those stories, I hear them much less than ever before. You know, the kind of stories I'm hearing now, it's like, boy, from the time I entered the door, it's like, I've had lots of people last year say, I don't think I've ever been to such a friendly church. Now, I know that might not be your experience, but I keep hearing it over and over. Because one of our core values, our five core values are on the walls in the lobby. One of our five core values is that we have a ten of eyes. This is what agape love gives you. You notice people, and you value them by paying some attention to them. Sometimes it's just a brief conversation. I know people who've been in here at this church 20 years, and they say, I wasn't sure if I was going to come here, but somebody had a 30-second conversation, uh, 30 seconds of a conversation where before I left, they noticed I was there, and they told me it was good to have me there. And when in my life does anybody ever look me in the eye and say, it's important for us that you are here with us? Nobody ever says that in my world. And so this is what agape does. It, 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 it doesn't matter who they are, no preconditions, member to agape. But we notice, and we just, we just say to people, you're valuable. We begin to translate to people how God sees them as his valued creation. Uh, something else I want to say here is that Christ-like leaders, and I'm going to just focus on leaders just for a moment because we have a lot of leaders in our congregation some of you are school teachers, some of you are ministry leaders, some of you supervise work teams in your business, some of you own businesses. There are just a lot of leaders in our congregation. And here's what I've come to believe about leaders. Christ-like leaders always care more about their people than they do about their position. And even if you're not a leader, you're just a volunteer in a program, 
I want to tell you, agape love always says people are more important than programs. And if you're a leader, if you're a leader, your people are always more important than your position as a leader. Because agape love says, I don't do this for me. I don't require that you follow me so that I can get something out of it. I remember God's spirit speaking to me years ago about this. And all these people heard me preach one Sunday morning, and the spirit of God came in my car. I was going home, and, and he said to me, Bradford, you know, all those people didn't come today, so you get to preach. Uh-uh. You got to preach because you're a servant to every one of those people. Because I want to give you eyes to see their potential. I want to give you heart to love them. You do it for them. You don't do it for me. So when I was working for the Assemblies of God headquarters, it was probably seven, eight years ago, and I was invited to speak at the National Assemblies of God conference for the Bahamas, Turks, and Caicos. So I, I had to go to NASA in the Bahamas. See my friend Larry back there who grew up in the Bahamas. Someone's got to die to self and do this for Jesus. So I'm preaching away at one of the evening services. And, and you know, it was, it was just not this good feeling. It was like the message just wasn't connecting. And it was what I felt the Lord had given me. And so I can't not remember whether I planned to say this or not. But I got going towards the end. Like, like Jesus, I think you're trying to say something to this folk, these folks. So I, that sentence came out of my mouth. You know what, if you're a leader, most of them were pastors. You know, if you're a leader, you got to love people more than your position. And I think I mentioned politicians. What if, I'm, what if our members of Congress made decisions for the good of their constituents rather than the kind of decision that will get them reelected? What I didn't know was a senator from the national government in the Bahamas was in that service. And they got him up after I preached and introduced him. And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> Even though I still believed what I said. But I want to tell you, that guy took it like a prophetic word. All he could talk about was that sentence. He said, when Pastor Bradford said that, it struck me. He started lifting off all the groups he was going to start speaking to, he would be speaking to in the next few months. He said, this is what I'm going to be telling them everywhere I go, every leader I meet, because this could change our country if we loved people more than we love position. And we get ourselves out of the center of all this. I don't know if he did, but made me reassured about the sermon at least. <laughs> I want to say just two more things about agape in our congregation. Even though we may disagree we got to keep trying to find common ground. If President Trump and President Biden do indeed run for president next year, I dread the hatred and division that's even going to mark some of our churches. And that's nothing political. One of them may well be our president. But we are so divided right now. There is so much vitriol and hatred. So I was listening to an interview recently with a, lady, um, with a lady by the name of uh, Sharon McMahon. She has over a million followers on Instagram right now. And she's got a passion to build bridges. 
And the interviewer said, well, could you kind of give me a for instance? And she said, well, yeah. She said, a couple years ago, I moved into our new house, my husband and I, and, and our neighbor was a guy who grew up in that house. He lived in the house all his life. And I don't know if he was kind of a hateful extremist on either the left or the right. I don't know. She didn't say. But she said, his yard was full of flags and signs with all kinds of, like, hate-filled messages. And she said one of the signs had outright profanity on it. And, and the kids were driving right by in the school bus. They could see all this stuff. It was totally inappropriate. But he had lived there all his life. He felt pretty entitled, and he wasn't going to take those signs down. So she said, I could have mobilized a million face, uh, Instagram followers <laughs> to take him apart online. Or I could have hired a lawyer and sued him because this had to change. And we had kids at stake. But she said, instead, I just decided to try to find some common ground with him first. So I started chatting to him, just having these conversations with him. And I found, to my surprise, I found that he was a bird watcher. He liked birds. Guess what? I'm a bird watcher. I like birds. So the next few weeks, we'd talk, and we'd talk about birds, and we'd find common ground, and it would warm our hearts. Then he said, a few weeks after that, while our relationship was going on on some common ground that we found, uh, one day my husband came home from work, and here here in front of his yard was a big truck, and they were loading up all the signs and loading up all the flags and getting rid of them. She said, this could have gone down very, very badly. But it's amazing what happens. You know, you're going to find people in this church who don't agree with you politically, who don't agree with you on policy issues on the southern border, who don't agree with you on all kinds of things. They don't agree with you on where your kid ought to go to college. I mean, you're going to find a lot of people in this congregation that go agree with you. And I want to applaud independent thinking, you know? And there are different places we can land. But what our job as we walk in agape love is to do is to find the one thing that does bring us together. And you know, the one thing that does bring us together, the gospel of Christ, that we've been all undeservedly loved by God who saw no value in us necessarily other than he created us and loved us for reasons we don't understand, but he acted towards us even though we didn't deserve it to add value to our lives. That's true of every person around you. And it's worth finding common ground. It's worth not focusing on what we disagree on. It's worth focusing on what we do have in common. We love Jesus. We worship him. We're on a mission together. Like that, like that word this morning that came forth. We're, we're on a mission to share his life. We focus on those things and we stay together. We stay together. And we always elevate service over personal entitlement. Listen, when you love with the agape love of God, it's hard to live an entitled life. There is a myth that so many people live with. It's that the world owes me something. Like I'm entitled. And we start there and work backwards from that. I just talked to an employer of a company that has 150, 200 employers, employees. He said, we're really trying to hire some new young talent. But he said, he said, they are so entitled that we can't get to square one. They don't last more than a week. It was like the first day, the question, not what do I do, but what do I get? And the second day is they're late. And so you say, you know, you need to be on time for work. 
well, what right do you have to run my life? It's my life first, my job second. It's like, you got to dance to my preferences. And entitlement just is so pervasive. But I want to tell you, the agape love of God will crucify entitlement. And the problem with believing the world owes you something is, let me be honest with you, you're the only one in the world who believes that. <laughs> I dare you to find somebody spending most of this next week worried about what they owe you. <laughs> and yet in a world of entitlement, God breaks through and says, there's no preconditions here. I just flat out love you. You can't do anything about it. I flat out love you. And I'm in the business of adding value to your life. God wasn't saying, you know, I'm in this for what I can get out of it. Like the creator of the universe could get something out of me, you know? Like I could somehow improve his life. I mean, come on. No, he didn't do it for his own entitlement. He did it to add value to me for reasons I don't understand. And add value to you for reasons I don't understand. And he says, here I am. I'm the Lord who's loved you. And uh, how did I love you? By laying my life down. So you also ought to lay your life down for one another. Remember that verse in 1 John 3 a few minutes ago? So we do this. We renounce entitlement. We renounce anything in the sense the world owes me something. And we look for the ways we can lift other people up. That's the agape of God. I thank God that he's not an entitled God. <laughs> I'm, I, thank, I thank him that he's acting to lift us up and laid us down. Now here comes the altar call. We're about closing. In fact, I want the worship team, if they will come. I'm going to tell you a story. I've told too many stories for one sermon. And those five things I just gave you kind of don't have logical connections, except they're just like a mosaic of things that we need to think about as the people of God, that, that we grow better together and that that, that, that there were people who know, agape means we notice one another, we value one another. And, and agape always reminds us that people are more important than programs and positions. And agape reminds us that even though we may disagree, we, we keep focusing on what we have in common together and live life together in the peace of God. And, and we always elevate serving others over what we think we're entitled to. Now... That's why love is the kingdom of God word. But love is also the Holy Spirit's work. We just look at verse 22 of Galatians 5 again. Love, uh, it says, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruit of positive thinking. It's not the fruit of any other thing that has its place. But it's the fruit of something God's Spirit does in your life. Paul unpacks that in our last verse. It's Romans 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.